Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. R-E-P-R-I-N-T Find out what it means to me R-E-P-R-I-N-T Take care of T-C-B Fetchlands, 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 Fetchlands That's it, that's That's the song sung by Arena Franklin because it's magic (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) what's up everybody you are slash watching slash listening to the command zone podcast i'm your host jimmy wong how is it it's josh lee kwai so today we're going to be tackling a bunch of uh interesting questions that you listeners out there have sent into us through emails tweets comments on youtube etc um some of the questions are what's a good commander for a new or younger player to build what do we think about a pioneer commander format oh interesting what cards do we most want WOTC to R-E-P-R-I-N-T soon, reprints, and <laughs> what uh, to do when someone breaks an in-game deal. Yeah, we love getting these questions from you guys. Last time we asked for questions, I think we are at over 2,000 emails came in. Yes, we're gonna, uh, we'll be sprinkling in this type of episode for uh, probably the rest of the year, getting through those, maybe longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- those questions that we just teased are not the only questions. We'll be answering a bunch more, but before we get into all that, we got to take a quick break and talk about cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Yes, we talk about it every single episode. Card Kingdom gets you the cards the fastest. If you want your cards in time for FNM or Commander Nights, they're the only ones I trust where I, yep. I hit the like checkout button and I know that I'm going to get them as fast as humanly possible. In Sometimes fact, within minutes after you place the order, they're like, your order is ready to ship. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's actually inhumanly possible because they are so fast and we've heard from people in other countries that are even like surprised with how fast card kingdom ships so if you're going to get magic product singles anything at all really you're going to buy that stuff anyway just use cardkingdom.com slash commands and when you do you really are keeping the lights on around here and we super appreciate it another way to support the show is directly through ultra pro kind of directly but buying ultra pro products does support the show as they're one of our longtime sponsors they help adorn our set with all of our cool products playmats and all that stuff and they also just make the best products for protecting your cards showcasing them off putting them in the binders bringing them as trades wherever you go you can trust that ultra pro's got your back with their satin tower deck boxes they basically have the best most solid quality in the business they've been doing it for the longest and they know cards inside and out playing cards as well as magic cards baseball cards ultra pro has been protecting them for decades so they're the people to trust and plus they make the best play mats and the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone you can contribute you can contribute directly to us and you get to do things like see game nights before anybody else you get to talk with jimmy and i on our discord there's all kinds of perks at the various reward tiers yep one of the perks also is that we shout out to one lucky patron every single episode oh yeah and this episode is dedicated to tyler stankovich pretty sure we did that right tyler i'm not even going to try it again yeah, because yeah. 100%. Um, Tyler, you rock. Tyler, you definitely <laughs> rock. Okay. Oh, before we get into this, one quick plug we want to do. So something ex- kind of exciting is happening. We have actually taken over doing the post-production uh, work for another podcast, the EDH Rec Cast. Yeah. Which has Joey Schultz, Dana Roach, and Matt oh. Morgan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's run by Donald Miner, who's been on the show many times before. So Donald and Joey and everybody kind of contacted us and they wanted to do a, they wanted to get going on their video, like make it look good and professional and everything else. And, you know, they were talking with us and asking if we can help. And if you watch their show now, you'll notice that their video quality and their audio quality and stuff is 
been turned up. We've helped them kind of get the right equipment and we're doing a bunch of post stuff for them to help make their show look really awesome. They have a great show. They have some really awesome information. They really dive deep on EDH Rec, which is the most used deck building website for Commander by far. Mm -hmm. I use it constantly. Me too. They really dive deep into how that site works, how the statistics work. They can really help you build awesome decks. I think people think EDH Rec only helps you find cards that everybody's using in all decks and helps you quote unquote net deck but actually EDH Rec is a great resource to help you not do that to see what other people are doing and find cards that you never would be able to find um, otherwise if you really know how to use the site so EDH Rec cast they've done a big rebranding definitely if you just type EDH Rec cast uh, it's all one word that's probably the easiest way to find it. Just type it into your YouTube search bar or any of your podcast apps. You'll find them. And before we jumped in and helped them out, they actually just had Sheldon Menery on the show as well. So they got great guests there as too. Yeah, that's uh, true. They're, yeah, their last episode before the episode... Well, anyways, there's episode 100. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was episode 100. So they, they've been around for a while. They're doing a good job. Speaking of special numbers, it's episode 314. It's our Pi Day episode. So happy oh. Pi Day, everyone. Happy Pi episode. Pi cast. Pi cast, that's right. All right, main topic is Q&A. We got a bunch of interesting questions from people. This is a great opportunity to sort of jump around to a bunch of different mini topics for us. Um, if you ever want to send in your questions to us, even if we're not doing a giveaway or anything, because we got a bunch of these questions because of a giveaway. Yeah. Um, and people are, of course, genuinely curious and want to know our answers. Right. You can send them to us at commandzonecast at gmail.com. And if you just put in the subject heading question time then it'll be easy for us to find. What I do when we're sort of putting together one of these is just type question time into the search bar and it brings up, well, Boom. about 2,500 emails right now. Yep. Uh, uh, and, and it's better to, if you get the question, just state it quickly because if it's like, hey, Jimmy and Josh, uh, and the, you can't even see the question in the little brief before, it's it's hard for us to read it. So yeah, get right to it. Um, and speaking of brevity, some of the questions here have also been shortened for brevity, so we're not directly quoting people every single time. All right, let's jump into it. Question number one. My son and I watch your shows and play Magic together regularly. He's wanting to build his first commander deck, thanks to you guys. Aw. My question is, what commanders would you suggest for a young player? Thanks ahead for whatever help I can get. And this is from D. Tyler Marsh. I would recommend easy commanders, but also commanders that aren't extremely basic. I think that like a Voltron commander is not actually the right way to take a new player. You might think like, oh, just give them the thing where you suit on stuff and attack people. That often comes with actually a lot more. We've had the whole how to play aggro episodes on the show. You know, I think a lot of the commanders that are uh, generally more colors are going to be fine. Three colors, I think is a good start for a kid. Uh, And also ones that just do their thing. Like Chulane, I'd say is a great starting commander. It just does stuff without you having to think too hard about how am I going to synergize this the best way possible when pretty much everything in your deck does something and puts a lane and, you know, it basically helps you do stuff without having to worry about the strategy too hard. Yeah, I do think like one focus is really good for beginners. You don't want them to have to like, oh, sometimes my deck does this and sometimes yeah. it does that. Like two lanes is a good one because it's like, yeah, just play creatures. You'll, Stuff's going to happen. Yeah, and you'll be drawing cards and having a great time. I think cards, uh, a deck like Xenagos, the the god Xenagos. Oh, red green. Because it's pretty simple as far as what it's going to do. Play a big creature, it doubles in power and then it swings. And that's like pretty easy to wrap your head around. I think like the Girid deck, the Naya deck from mm-hmm. uh, Commander 2019 is fairly straightforward. Makes some tokens and stuff, but it's a tacky. Yeah. Things like that. I, yeah, you don't want a lot like a bunch of instants. You don't want things like counter spells where there's a bunch of decision points. I, I think for newer players, it's like, here's what my deck wants to do and it can be summed up in like one sentence and then... Yeah, and also if it plays into what they like to do. So if they are the person that just loves playing huge creatures, and love red and green, then maybe Xenagos is the perfect fit. Yeah. If there's someone that's like, I want to build a sweet rune flicker deck eventually, but I don't have the cards for it yet, start off with Chulain, then maybe it can evolve into it later. 
All right. Uh, the second question. <laughs> I have my Tatiova deck with Boundless Realms in it. I've drawn the card a few times, and every single time I have the dil- dilemma of when to play it. Should I play it as soon as I have the mana needed, or should I wait to gain more value from it? So let's read Boundless Realms real fast. Okay, it's six and a green for a sorcery. It says, search your library for up to b- X basic land cards, where X is the number of lands you control, and then put them onto the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library. So seven mana for a sorcery, and it basically doubles the amount of lands you have in play. Yep. Uh, it only gets basics, but it counts all lands you have. This is a super mega ramp card that's likely to get you at least seven lands immediately into play, and often a lot more. And Tatiova also says whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. So you could also be gaining seven life, drawing seven cards, and putting seven lands into play for seven mana. That's sort of just like the baseline, what could happen here. So seven mana, put seven lands into play. If Tatiova's out, gain seven life and draw seven cards. Yeah. Does Tatiova gain one life or two life per land? Whatever it is, it'll be a bunch of life and some cards. I think you just play it as soon as you can. I think waiting to do it to gain more value, you're again, it's like how much, what's the difference between seven cards and 10 cards? What's the difference between seven to nine cards? Yeah. Because you're still gaining a bunch of life. Uh, people are going to be targeting you, I think, after this no matter what, because the advantage you're getting is massive. Um, also, the later you play it, the less basic lands you have in your deck. That's a good point. I do think, here's a question. What if Tatiova is not out? Do you wait till cast Tatiova and then try uh, and do it? Well, in that case, you're just doing seven mana for a bunch of lands. I would probably depend on what the rest of your hand is. If you're like Hello Drazi and stuff in your deck, because you're a mega ramp deck, then doing this will get you that Ulamog to get rid of that those two pesky things. And yeah, maybe you do do it early. I think also it has to do with what's going on in the battlefield. So if you have a clear window where like, I'm going to do this and there's nothing obvious that's going to just crack in on me right now. Like I can afford to play a seven mana spell that doesn't affect the board, doesn't put a blocker out, doesn't kill anything. And that's going to be safe for me. If anything generates a little hate towards me. But at the same time, like if there's nothing out there, right? If there's an Ulamog on the table, you probably can't afford to do something like this. If there's something scary, you need to be doing other things, putting out blockers, destroying stuff, keeping your opponents in check. But sometimes you look around and you're like, oh, that's, this is kind of how Vidalconori plays. It doesn't cost seven mana, but it's, you look around and you're like, it's safe to play this. I'm going to play it because nothing can obviously get at me now. So Boundless Realms, if I saw that window, I might just be tempted to play it no matter what because it's a hard card to fit in when there's a lot going on and there's threats out there. What if you only have four lands and a bunch of mana rocks that got you up to seven mana? Now, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. I think I would still do it if the window was open. Yeah, because the window is definitely going to be closing the further the game goes on. It's not going to stay open forever, right? And there's not, it's not quite as great. Listen, it's still great, but it's not quite as great to get from 13 mana to to 20 mana. Like 13 mana is already a lot. Yeah. But getting from seven mana to 11 mana is great because that's a huge jump. And all of a sudden you're playing two mega spells like that can make you win the game easily yeah. if, the, if it goes unchecked. Like the difference between seven mana and 12 mana is a lot. The difference between 13 mana and 18 mana is less. And so. True. Yeah. But it, it it's hard to answer this one as like this is the way it's always going to go because a lot of it has to do with what else is going on in the game. But I, w- I, I like what you said originally. If Tatios is out and you can cast Boundless Realms and you're not going to immediately die, you cast Boundless Realms. Even if you're going to take like 20 on the crackback, you're still gaining 7-8. Yeah. Right? So that's actually not that bad. So. And then your next turn is going to be insane because you have all the mana and all the cards. Yeah. So. I would just be worried if someone's going to remove Tatiova in response to your Boundless Realms oh, being cast. Boy, You'll still oh, get a lot of value off it, but you won't get a, you know insane value. Right. All right, question number three. I have a decent collection of legendary creatures, but most of them aren't quote-unquote good commanders. Should I spend my money on better, more expensive commanders, or should I focus more on supplying my existing commanders with better cards in the 99? This is from Kalen. 
I know how Murph would answer this. Murph would say, keep the jank commanders, make the deck really fun. I think you should just find a better commander. There are so many out there, and they're really not expensive ads. Honestly, a lot of times your commander is the cheapest card in the deck, and it happens to just be great. There have been so many sets recently, like just thinking about the Modrothas and the Yerox and stuff. Like, If you're looking for a good commander in any of those colors, the pre-cons are all going to have great options, and they're probably going to be more powerful than I'm guessing like the Legends that you have like from the Legends set, like the really old Gold Border ones that don't do that much. Yeah, I, I would say, too, the commander as a card that is like one of the more expensive cards in your deck is a good place to put your your money right because right. you're gonna have access to that card every single game you're gonna yep. play that card every single game whereas if you splurge and you get you know a sort of feast and famine or something it's in your 99 yeah that's a sweet card it's gonna make all your decks better but you're only gonna draw it sometimes and so you're if you're on a limited budget you're not really gonna see that money quote unquote every single game whereas your commander you will now the downside is potentially that like you find out you don't really like that commander so we're going to talk about proxies in a minute here but i think in like i would test it out before i bought it but i do think commander uh, a commander a legendary creature a new deck that you're going to build is a good place to put you know a few more extra dollars because you really will get to play with that a lot more it's just like one of the better investments you can make it's like in life i always tell people like hey if you're going to invest in something a bed <laughs> yeah it's a surprisingly great quality of life thing to put a little more money into like a, a really nice mattress that's a thing that you're going to spend like seven or eight hours on yeah. every single day you're in you're on that more than you're in your car more than you're you know doing most things and so the value you get out of the extra dollars spent there are a lot more than like i don't know a pair of shoes or something although you're in well shoes, shoes a are lot. pretty yeah, good yeah, too, yeah. that's a bad example but you you get what i'm saying yeah it would be like maybe a new toy yeah. or a new yeah like even the commander deck right i would if you chose play that me, like, like twice, twice it, a month or something. Yeah, yeah exactly you sleep in your bed every single night same goes for car same goes for comfortable chair okay next question if my main goal is having a reasonably powerful and consistent deck if I have a bit of money to upgrade my decks, whether pre-cons or custom-built decks, does it make more sense to add more powerful and synergistic cards or to optimize the mana base? Basically, I understand the importance of optimizing the mana base, but is it really better than adding better non-land cards? This one is similar to the last question. Basically, where should I be investing my monies? Uh, I do think that you can get away with a non-optimal mana base all the time, and I see it happen all the time. Josh still plays some tap lands that gain him a life on the end of the battlefield. Yep. Um, we can't, I obviously don't have duels for, I mean, I have all my duels in my first like five decks I've ever built. Past that, I'm just like, all right, I'll use a shock, I'll use a temple of enlightenment to scry one. I don't really care because the more important part, I think, is the, the meat of the deck are the cards you're playing in it. Yeah, I think, listen, a mana base is an efficient mana base will make your deck run more smoothly and it'll make it better. It just depends on where, what kind of play group you're in. Because if you're in a more competitive, and I don't mean straight up CDH like we talked about Kyle, but if you're in a higher end play group where yeah. like the decks are very strong, if everybody's playing with eights most of the time, it might be worth it to upgrade the mana base of one of your decks. That's probably going to help it. A good thing about mana bases too is like those cards will always be useful. Like if yeah. that deck you're suddenly not playing, you're not going to be mad that you have fetch lands and shock lands or whatever. You're going to be able to use those always. Like Jimmy just said, and I'm in the same boat. You know, I have a certain amount of fetches. I have a certain amount of old school duels. I have, you know, a certain amount of shock lands even. And I have 25 commander decks. My last seven, eight, nine decks don't have a lot of that stuff because I just, <laughs> I don't have 25 of every single fetch land and stuff like that. So, and, and those decks, you know what? 
they're totally fine and i don't usually think of them as the decks with bad mana bases yeah well i think also like if you just build the mana base correctly it's very hard to have a bad mana base all you're doing is maybe giving yourself an extra you know one turn behind because you have to put a tap land in instead but at the same time you see all these five color decks running all the three color lands and those have to come into play tapped so like i think it's not as much of a difference as people think it might be, but it when you do feel it, you definitely know, oh, it's because I was able to have everything come into play untapped. I was able to fetch out the right colors at the right time. I if think most gonna- of the time, though, I would, I would, and the person's name is Cody, I think. Cody, I think that if you're on a budget, it's probably more fun and better to upgrade the actual synergy cards in your deck. Yeah. Well, like, let's say it's a Ristic study versus a Shockland. Right. I think I would actually go That's for the like Ristic. That's like a fetch, study. probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost. But and, I'd, I'd still rather have the Ristic than the fetch, right? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in this case, you know it's going to do work for you, whereas the fetch might be, unless you're trying to, again, like Josh said, be uber competitive, like you don't need to worry about having your man be absolutely perfect every single time. I well, think the shock lands are perfectly acceptable, and they all just got reprinted, right? So, like, they're they're definitely down in price, and it's a really easy way to optimize your mana base. I mean, think about the Ristic study versus the fetch land thing. Ristic study in your deck or not, what's your equivalent to Ristic study? What's your replacement for mm-hmm. it? Is it divination or something? Because, you know, obviously there's Mystic Remora and a few cards that are similar, but Ristic Study is a lot harder to replace than a fetch land because a fetch land, while awesome, is equivalent to, you know, a temple mm-hmm. or a shock land for sure. Well, it's equivalent to a shock land almost always, but it's equivalent to a basic land a lot of times, right? Like, of course, right. sometimes like a land coming into play tapped like a life land is not as good as a fetch land, but sometimes you don't have a, anything to do with that one extra mana that turn, and it ends up being the same. So you have a lot more equivalency with other cards for the fetch land than you do for the Ristic study. That's a good point. And with fetch lands and stuff, you have cards like, you know, that are still powerful. Myriad landscapes types, prismatic vistas and stuff and all. They're all new. Op- I mean, none of these cards are like super duper cheap, but there are more and more options as time goes on. So Shoot, we played with Mitch from the Commander's Quarters, who's a big, obviously, budget player he's like the budget content commander content creator anyway and i tell you what like playing against him it never feels like he's in hurting in any way and then yeah. his decks are like not optimal because of mana base and he They're doesn't have built. and he doesn't have shocks or, or fetches in anything right he's he's building 25 dollar maybe 50 dollar decks with evolving wilds and wayfarer's bobble let's not forget his favorite card yes all right question number five do you guys have a binder of commander staples with uh you building decks so often, I wonder if you purchase these cards as needed or if you have a drawer full of staple cards for each color. Jake, this is from Jake. Good question, Jake. Uh, I will say that a lot of decks that have been built for game nights don't make it past game nights. They very quickly have, for instance, they'll get disassembled and the same cards will get reused in something else. Uh, we, definitely... we have to because they're from our collections mostly. And yeah. so it's like we don't, like we said, we only have so many copies of stuff. It's one of the hidden costs of the show that I think people don't realize, which is like we do have to get cards for each episode. We have to build a lot of decks and then we also have to spend all the time putting them together taking them apart and then sometimes we'll switch out sleeves and stuff if there's like a new cool sleeve from ultra pro and so there's lots of like small things that sort of add up but yeah definitely the staples uh they we can't just like have a billion of them like i can't like you said you can't have 25 sets of fetch lands for your 25 decks a lot of times on the morning of game nights we're like uh where's i need i really want to add this card i just realized and you're going through your other decks yeah and you're like trying to find it and then you go to play that deck three weeks later and you're like crap i never put that card back in where is that you card floating sleep yeah. like oh so no that, that we try to avoid that but that happens i am very bad at organizing my cards so i don't have a binder of commander staples at home i have like a, a big couple of bcw boxes that just say edh on them and those boxes just have like 
loosely and no way organized cards that are good in EDH. And every time I'm like, ah, I need this card. I know I have one somewhere. I just have to look through. <laughs> I'm just bad at organizing that stuff. Yeah. But we do uh, definitely try and keep things as organized as we can here in the office when we build in the office, game nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, next question from Ethan. My question is about the use of phones at the table. In cases of life counters, I'm fine with it. But when people are scrolling through social media or distracting others by showing videos, showing videos, it really gets on my nerves. What are your opinions on this? And what do you think is the best way to handle it? Uh, That's a good question. What do you think? I have, oh, I have I, my own thoughts. Yeah, no, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Like, I get it if somebody's taking a long turn and they're thinking and you kind of lean back and look at your phone for a second. But you should be engaged with the game for the most part. And definitely if you're if a person being on the phone is in any way like slowing down the game, I mean, I'm... That's the worst. Yeah. For sure. I'm not, I'm not adverse to confrontation. So my is like, hey. Put your phone down. Put your phone away. Yeah. Do you want to concede? Okay. <laughs> then put your phone down. Yeah. It's, th- like that's your choice. If you don't want to play the game and you want to be on your phone, that's totally fine. That's your choice. You are allowed to concede. But if you want to be in the game, you got to pay attention to it because you're costing everybody else time. I'm just very impatient with people who are not respectful of my time. Yeah, I think the thing that matters to me is there are times when you'll get a text and it's like, oh, it's from my mom or my girlfriend. Yeah, like, sorry, you guys, respond this is to important. this. But That's it's fine. also, I make sure that if it's not my turn, I don't do it during my turn. I'm not like trying to take my turn and be like, hold up, this is more important. It's like, no, nah, these can, everything can wait. But when you have three people immediately right around you that are waiting on you, then you should respect their immediate time, I think, in general, over unless it's an actual emergency. Um, I have seen games, though, where people tune out after someone's like, I'm going to take my 20 minute turn now. And I think there is a little, there's something to be said about the fact that, yes, I think looking at your phone is a nice way to not get angry at the person taking a very long turn. True. But also maybe you should just tell them to hurry up. I don't know. Again, another thing that I have no problem doing, I'm often like, all right, this is taking a long time. Let's move it along here. Yeah. I'd like to play more than one game tonight. I think it's okay to say things like that. And I think if you're using your phone and it's stopping you from, let's say that someone, the threat assessment at the table is really bad and you are the voice of reason and without you, maybe things are going to go awry really quickly. But instead of, instead of you deciding to care about the game, you decide to care more about your phone, then you're actually hurting everyone at the table. And showing other people videos or something, like, what's up with that? Like, yeah, what are the you game's going around, check this out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, ah. Cats. Like, it's, <laughs> come on, that's not cool. Yeah, I would be very curious as to what kinds of videos are being shown around the table. If it was like, hey, look at game nights when this happened, that's exactly happening here, then maybe there's uh, something to be said. But but I, I, I feel like it's just cats. <laughs> just cats and more cats. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, talk to them uh, if, if it's really upsetting you. And I think it's a very reasonable thing, like Josh said, be like, hey, everyone's waiting on you or... It'd be nice if, you know, this game's actually taking longer because everyone's going to their phones as soon as there's turns done instead of being actively involved in the game. And that's why I'm here. All right, question number seven. When Brawl was first introduced, I know that the biggest downside that you highlighted on your episodes was the fact that it was a rotating format. With Pioneer having just been launched, what do you think of Pioneer Brawl as a format? And and this is from Jared. And I assume Jared means that you have brawl but instead of only standard legal you have it whatever's legal in pioneer which is a non-rotating format it so we'll started just, yeah we'll just start return to ravnica or something cons i believe because the fetch lands are oh yeah it's return to ravnica into cons and then cons the fetch lands are banned right the fetch lands are banned yeah. yeah so it would yeah does would brawl have the same ban list as standard i don't Ooh. even know how brawl works anymore um, yeah i don't think they would regardless that's not that's not important to the discussion so we're talking about a format that starts at a certain set yeah which i think is return to ravnica and goes forward and never rotates so it's just like everything from return to ravnica forward forever 
Yeah, I mean, we had the idea of why not make it set to the when the when the commander's released, whatever's legal in standard at that time, or for the life cycle like- of that card. Yeah, it's similar to what we're doing here with Pioneer. I think the idea is you're just going to make EDH light, and after a while, it's not going to feel any different. Because I know a lot of people that play pretty much standard EDH. They have cards, maybe a couple of cards that stretch from the the olden days, but mostly their cards are from the most recent sets. And Pioneer now is stretching what five, six years of Magic. Yeah, six, seven. Yeah. yeah so it's it's going to be. I feel like after a while, Brawl is. I mean, I think if Brawl is not doing well, they should try to do things to revitalize it. This might be too big of a shakeup, though. Who knows? Yeah, Brawlinear, as I'm going to call Brawlinear. it. Brawlinear. Brawlinear. Here's the problem, I think, actually, that you run into is it's fine now, but in seven years, six years, five years maybe, you've got, now you're at 12 or 13 years worth of cards in the Brawlinear format, and Commander has, you know, another 10 or whatever. 12 on top of 12 that. 12 on top of that, but those, the two formats start to get similar because the gap between... The, it's kind of what happened to Modern in comparison to Legacy. When yeah. Modern started, it was very different than Legacy, and it was a lot slower. And what. And then as it, as it sort of grew older and older and matured more, all of a sudden it started to be more like Legacy as far as like decks were winning at similar speeds, prices of right. cards were started to become similar. And because the difference between 7 years and 20 years is a lot, but the difference between 14 years and 27 years is less, right? And so the gap starts to get smaller. So I think what happens is commander's your most popular format right now right that they pretty much stated that at Mm -hmm. this point everyone agrees so do you really want to create a format that's eventually going to compete with it i don't think you you want to and that's why brawl was in was invented the way it was because if it rotates it can never compete because it's never going to have deck sizes planeswalkers commanders it's never going to have the card pool that commander has because it's never going to grow past a certain size so this definitely does make the power level potentially rocket through the roof so eventually right yeah yeah okay i don't know i mean i would i'd be interested to see how busted the decks would get because i think after a while you're just basically making pioneer decks but more powerful because you have access to a single you're always drawing eight card hands instead. i mean brawl decks are there are some cool brawl decks out there and they can be pretty powerful we even said like Moldrother brawl could probably play in a lot of commander pods yeah yeah i don't i, I just think like you're talking about encroaching on you know two formats all start encroaching on each other as we look into the future but brawl even legal anymore not anymore it, it was at the time yeah Ugh, now, now it's annoying. not hey, sorry, that's when built- i stopped playing because i was like oh i can't play my moldrotha deck anymore just build another deck instead. actually is moldrotha still legal i just think half the deck rotated yeah out, a lot of, yeah, yeah a lot of cards the, yeah the, the original deck is not as great as it was all right question number eight my question is how often outside of game nights do you build and take apart your commander decks in my play group i switch decks on almost a weekly basis no one else in my group does that they have a handful of commanders to just add to and improve on those i'm wondering if i am weird for how often you go and and how often do you guys switch things up asks matthew well matthew um i wouldn't call you weird but no. that's that's very often i'd say switching decks on a weekly basis is a oh, yeah lot. are you building a new deck every single week because that, after <laughs> three months that's 12 commander decks. well he's taking apart old ones building oh, see, taking apart okay. so constantly switching you know i think there are different types of players in all games i used to have this roommate when i was right out of college and we would have uh, land parties. Uh-huh. So back in the day, everyone would bring their computer over to <laughs> oh, our yeah, apartment. Oh, yeah, we have to explain this to some people. Yeah, because the internet wasn't what it is. So everybody would just bring their desktop computers all over to our apartment, and then we would hook them up over a land network, and that's how we would play, like, Quake at the time was sort of the big thing, Action Quake. Nice. And for most of us, we would just try and shoot each other in Action Quake all night long and play until 4 in the morning. But one friend, 
he spent like I'd say roughly a third of the time like switching the skin on his guy and like <laughs> trying out the sniper versus the soldier versus the whatever and like messing around with the the settings of how he, and that was just that was just fun to him as far as like part of the fun of the game and I think everybody sort of play, plays games differently and this yeah. feels like one of those things for for you Matthew it feels like constantly the variety a new deck a new spicy thing that you try you know you're going to try yeah. for the first time is exciting whereas a lot of players are like oh just making my deck two percent better this week is exciting yeah and i also m- want to ask matthew if you have more free time than other people because this is one of those things i think where if you have a lot of time to sit around and be fiddling with decks taking them apart and putting them back together you know that's it's not like something you do in 10 minutes it just takes hours at a time sometimes so if you have more free time than your other friends and that is what you decide to spend your free time on it's definitely not weird um i would just be curious as to how much time people want to dedicate towards their commander decks each week because some people write it is worth it for them to instead of watching a show sit there and retool a deck for two hours instead or going to a movie they'd rather do this or you know so the trade-offs are there i'm interested to see what your play groups like uh, and to answer your question matthew neither jimmy or i update our decks all that often we do build at least one new deck per month because of game nights and i'd say that i sort of intermittently update my decks i'll do like them in swaths so i'll be like yeah. i'm gonna update three three decks and every like four to five months i sort of do that and so i'm not constantly updating my decks i just go like oh I haven't updated Rune and Feather in a little while, so I'm just going to yeah. do a quick look. through. Mostly I just look through the last couple of sets because it's like, See, oh, I haven't touched big. anything from Eldraine or Theros in those decks. And so, oh, yeah. these three need to go in. I got to figure out what goes out, and those are done. And now in a couple months, I'll do that again for these other two decks. And so some decks are like nine months behind because <laughs> I just only do three or four at a time. I think I only do that when I have impetus too. So it's like, hey, we're going like Magic Fest Vegas yeah. last year was a great one for me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm going to retune this deck and it, it was a game night's deck that was a little more casual and now I'm going to really add in, lower the mana curve and do X, Y, and Z to it. And so I think it just requires me to have a reason to. All right. We have a bunch more questions to answer, including what we reprints we would like to see, what you should do if you're going to a Magic Fest and a bunch of other stuff. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well. Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right. Question time is on. We have, I believe, nine more questions. whole lot of episode left to go. And this is probably one of the more asked questions, one of the more contentious things as well in the Magic community. Um, I wanted to know, it's also from somebody named Matthew, by the way. 
question. Back to back Matthews. Back to back Matthews. Maybe it's the same one. Who knows? <laughs> I just wanted to know your opinion on proxies. A person I used to play with at an LGS had two expensive decks that contained about 95% proxies, including some more simple staples like Soul Ring. If it's like one or two cards, I'm okay with that, but it just becomes a slippery slope when you would just allow yourself to proxy whatever card you want. Um, yeah, I do think that it is a, I don't know if the slippery slope is the best way to describe it. I know that's a logical fallacy for a lot of people, but it definitely is something that if you don't establish good boundaries as in terms of what you think is acceptable, people will just trample all over it. And the people that are trampling all over are going to feel less bad about it because they don't think people think they're doing a bad thing. I think there are groups where proxies are allowed and any kinds of proxies are allowed. And if everybody's on the same page about it, I guess that's totally fine. We've talked about this on our show quite a few times. And have you changed your stance at all? No, it's pretty much the same. So, I think 95% proxies is wrong unless you're just testing something out. Yes. Because that's dis- and I think that's and ultimately a little disrespectful to the people that you know spend money and earn money to try and make their decks perfectly legitimate and b- find all the cards for it. But if you're just testing something out to ma- see if it works... Like Matthew said, one or two cards or whatever, see if it goes great, then I think that's totally fine. Yeah, I I think there are two instances where I think proxies are okay. One is when you're testing them out. I totally understand. You want to try on the clothes to make sure they fit before you purchase them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me, especially expensive stuff. So I wouldn't want to buy a card, find out I didn't even like the deck, and all of a sudden, like, I'm sitting here, why did I spend 30 or 40 bucks on this card? So that makes sense. So that means there's a limited amount of time that you're allowed to sort of use that proxy, right? Mm-hmm. Like eventually it's like, okay, you're not testing it now because you've been playing that same deck for using five it, yeah. months. So that's just a proxy. That's just a counterfeit now at this point. <laughs> uh, the other instance I think proxies are okay is if you own a copy of that card. Yes. So, you know, I understand. Guy's Cradle, expensive card. If you want to put it in multiple decks, you know, maybe don't want to buy four or five of those. So I think it's generally okay to be like, hey, I own this card, but I'm not going to make you guys sit here and watch me go find it out of this deck, shuffle it into this one, change sleeves, uh, you know, all that. So I'm actually just trying to save you time because that's what I would do to just use this card in multiple decks. Yeah, so, and it's totally legitimate because you're not playing multiple commander decks simultaneously. So it's yeah. like, yes, you could go and find the card and re-sleeve and put it in your other deck, but if you just proxy it and you, like Vinny has a whole system for this too with checklist cards and yes. expert cards, so. And that's totally fine. I think in both instances, I want the proxies to look good. I don't want you to ruin in the table atmosphere yeah so i don't like i just took a sharpie a, an island and i sharpied on you know whatever carp guy's cradle onto it and like because i want to i want to maintain the the look of the game and the feel of the game and i want it to look and feel like how it's supposed to yeah it's part of the fun yeah so i i but yeah i am kind of against proxying majority of cards in decks that are just meant to be there that's again that's not a proxy that is a counterfeit and yeah especially when the cards like this person said were really expensive so it's like yeah he has a guy's cradle tabernacle a pendrel veil and all the fetch lands and they're all proxies and as a result their deck is very powerful and they win all the time i don't think that's fun for other people to play against and it doesn't feel like it's just the right way to go about it I know a lot of people, they look at Jimmy and I and they go, well, you guys have all these expensive cards and it's really easy for you to say. Let me just tell you, though, in our playgroup is Cassius Marsh, who is an NFL player, and his collection is worth about 50 times what my collection is. In our playgroup is Craig Blanchett. He's been playing Magic for longer than Jimmy and I combined times two, and he has things like Alpha Time Walks and stuff. He has Tabernacles and things like that. He has way more money in his collection than we do. DJ 
loves bling, has a ton of cards, has a power cube, has all kinds of stuff, has his collection, I'm guessing, is worth more money than Jimmy or my collection, even though our collections are large and we have a lot of cards. So uh, we're not even at the tip top of the um, of the cost of cards in our own playgroup. And yet I'm still saying like, I don't really like it when people proxy because yeah, yeah there's plenty of times so I pull out a deck and it's like, yeah, Cash's deck is just worth, you know, like everything's a, blinged out. Everything's the way more than mine. Everything. Ten times as much. Yeah. Mine. But do I feel like that's why he's winning when he beats me? No, that's yeah. not at all. What? What? So, and there's one thing we found in the stats episode. Uh, what is that? A year and a half ago now, yeah. when we did, when we looked at budget and its effect on the game, we did find that more expensive decks did have a slight tendency to win more often, especially at the five hundred dollar and under level. Once you got to about five hundred dollars in budget for the deck, the amount of advantage that you gained from more expensive cards started to really have diminishing returns. So basically what we found is like adding a Bayou to your deck, mm -hmm. if it didn't have one, doesn't actually increase your win percentage by much, if any. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, well, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> I will say though that there is often a mentality that is pretty pervasive and can be really toxic to yourself, which is if you are someone that doesn't have something and someone else does have something that you disdainfully look almost down on them or you're jealous and it turns into a negative emotion. Ooh, that's a really uh, and I think it's just a very dangerous thing to be because, you know, everyone's struggles are going to be relative to their own life and everyone's, you know, like, again, like we look at our collection, it's big, but then we compare it to someone else and wow, there's just so much better than mine. And if we just spend our time, you know, having negative Being emotions about, about that, that, that what, it's really completely unproductive. And it, the same thing happens for someone that's just starting out and maybe someone has two starter decks and they look at that person with envy and whatever. So I would just mm -hmm. make sure to just keep things relative to your own experience and try not to hold emotions at someone else for having something that you don't. Um, and, if, and if it is the case of someone using something like a 95% product deck to beat down and pub stomp then just try to avoid that player or tell them if you can and just honestly just try and avoid the situation though entirely i think i think this is the kind of person that it's gonna be hard to convince them otherwise because they're already pretty far down deep down this path i love what you said there about the fact that like if you are looking at what some somebody else has and that negative emotion can really blind you yeah. like think of like if you're losing to a person and your brain is saying i'm losing because their cards are more expensive than right. mine that could actually be hurting you because the real reason you're losing could be your bad sequencing, you're not remembering your triggers, they're just outplaying you. But if your brain is just focusing on that one thing, you'll never look at those other aspects and improve at them. Yep. So it's a lot, I think it's just a lot healthier and safer to say things like, listen, they got more expensive cards. I should still be able to win this game though. I should be able to outsmart them. Yeah. I should be able to just have better synergy in my I'm deck. I'm pride for you even. Yeah. I, I built my deck better. It doesn't matter if they have expensive cards. I outplayed them in the scenario or, you know, all that stuff. I think that's the definitely the healthier way to go about it. And whenever we talk about budget, we talk about Mitch a lot and he is just proof for that. I'm telling you, we have expensive decks. Yes. Mitch sits down at the table with $50 decks with us. He's totally fine. He kicks our butt sometimes he's an arch enemy sometimes of course sometimes he loses but he doesn't feel like his decks are in any way measured or or sort of how they perform in the game has anything to do with how much they cost yeah great point okay the next one is my buddy and i are thinking about attending an upcoming magic fest to play some commander using the command zone three-day voucher thingy <laughs> we've never been to something like this before and we're looking for some advice decks to bring how many best way to use vouchers what to expect etc we are about six to seven power scale casual players. Is this really something that would be worth doing? And this is from Riley. Uh, Riley, yes. 100% worth doing. 100%. Six to seven power scale seems probably the average for what you're going to find at Commander Fest. Perfect. Most games are sevens. 
Yeah. Like um, 90%. Yeah. And it's if you're doing going for three days, I would measure out how many hours you're going to be there each day and then give yourself an estimate. Like, okay, if I'm here for seven hours each day on average, that's what, five, four to five games maybe of Commander? Uh, and then ask yourself, okay, am I okay playing the same deck three times over the three days? So I only need to bring four to five Commander decks or you're someone that wants to play a new deck every single time, in which case try and do that. So I would just try and calculate that for how many decks you want to bring. I would say most people overestimate the number of decks they should bring. You probably bring fewer than you think. Yeah. I'm down to like hard like five I yeah, bring. I think five is a good number. It's easy to sort of over underestimate how annoying it is to carry around a lot of decks and it gets heavy. You got a backpack. Seriously, the difference between five decks and ten decks is a lot. Yeah, and there's also theft at these types of things. So you want to be careful. So you don't want to be hauling around your entire life savings in cards. So I would keep it reasonable, and maybe you bring like eight decks, but every day when you go to the convention hall, you only carry four from your hotel room with you to yeah, the thing, totally. because you're unlikely to need more decks than, like you play each of them twice, that's eight commander games. You're not playing eight commander games in most days. That's just not how it's going to go, promise. That'd be crazy if you did, though. That's a lot. Um, let's see, what else did they ask? How many, best way to use vouchers? Oh yeah, this is something I think people don't understand. So when you buy the command zone pass, you get a certain amount of vouchers for organized commander games where they're going to put you together with other players and you will get a certain amount of tickets that you can use at the prize wall in those. So there is some uh, return on your investment, I guess, as mm -hmm. far as like you'll get some booster packs or whatever else from the prize wall. You usually get a play mat, you get a promo depending on the amount of days that you bought. So some of the in investment, quote unquote, some of the money goes into things that you do get. The Soul Ring promo is pretty sweet. It is. So cool. you do get some of that stuff back. I, I think it's totally worth it. Uh, but again, it just depends on your budget. You can still find commander games without buying the voucher uh, sort of on the side, but it's a little harder now that they have the command zone because most commander players go in there, yeah. whereas it used to be there wasn't a place for us and so that's all we had was pickup games and you could always find those and now it's a little bit more sparse but you could do it i if you're going for three days i wouldn't do that i'd buy the pass but if you were going to go for maybe just one day and you're tight on money then i think you could probably find enough pick pickup games off to the Especially side if you're like going to do a draft or something yeah. else at the other events you're that's a really good point commander yeah yeah so but anyway magic fest are a ton of fun you're gonna meet a lot of players you're gonna have a great time and also depending on where you come from, there's so many vendors there. There's just access to a lot of cards that you mm -hmm. might not have access to, uh, you know, if you're from like a small town with one card shop or something. Yeah, and think about it this way. What you're paying for with the voucher is the experience of having a organized area where you can find games. It's well, you know, there's going to be judges around just for you all. And there's also going to be people that are sort of buying into the, hey, we're all going to discuss what our power levels are and make sure that we play a fun, fair game. Oh, yeah, we should mention that too. We worked with Channel Firewall recently yes. to help them iron out their power scale. They used... They built theirs sort of off of ours, the uh, 1 to 10 power scale. 1 to 10 that. power scales, yeah. So if you've listened to our content about that, you're going to be right on the same page with most people there. Yep, and they'll have signs up now, I believe, starting in Reno. Okay, right. next question, question number 11. What are th some other hobbies you guys like to do besides playing Magic, asks Kyle. I mean, why don't you go first, Josh? Boy, I'm hobbies. curious. <laughs> hobbies. I used to have hobbies, Jimmy. We both occasionally will sit and you'll see us like playing a mobile game for yeah. like 10 to 15 minutes. Yep, that's true. <laughs> and then we put it down. We're like, all right, that Gotta was Gotta go fun. back to work. Um, I'm a big video gamer in general. Uh, I've been playing uh, Legend of Ruterra, which is a League of Legends card game. I'm just always curious as to how they're designing it, what choices they're making. Um, and I usually try and find you know lessons to cross-apply the magic from those types of games as well. So that, that's something I like to do, is I like to explore out and play other video games and watch Plus. shows and movies a lot. Yeah, that's the thing I like to do is just... Very I, Hollywood of us. Yeah. Uh, Legends of the Runeterra is fun. I played a little bit. You know, our, our friends, uh, Mel Lee and Sean Main, both work on that game. FG as well. Yeah. yeah. So, and we know a bunch of people at Riot. So, 
it's fun to sort of try out the game that people are working on. That and we've know. all played Magic. Phil with that from Commander oh, that's right. That's worked right. on the game. So Travis, we know like a whole bunch of people working on the game. We definitely know. And so it's fun to play. I think that's a fun game. Um, yeah, I play. I used to play basketball a lot. I haven't played a lot in recent yeah. years because we've been get so back to busy. It. That's one thing I'd like to do this year is just play hoops a little bit more. I got to get back in shape though because. When I'm out of shape, then I just get hurt, and then it's like, you go play one day, you get hurt, can't play again for three weeks. Yeah, and and also if you can't, like, you're not contributing to the team, you're going to get past two less, and then you just feel like you're out of the action entirely. Plus, I still think of basketball in terms of, like, when I played a lot, like, what I should be able to do, and so it's frustrating when I'm out there, because I used to play, like, four times a week, like, a lot. So, anyway, those are some hobbies. Could you imagine Josh Lee quite just driving down the lane at you? I would just move out of the way. You're like, I'm not going to... When I'm in basketball shape, I'm a lot smaller. No charging call for me i'm out of here you have that you take your layup <laughs> all right so the next question is i know how you guys feel about broken deals presumably they mean in game in my play group we have a rule that if a deal is made that prevents the game from progressing and we've been sitting there for a while the deal has to be broken because all games have to end at some point <laughs> how do you feel about that says mikey i mean i'm wondering what kind of deals these are which is just like you don't attack me ever yeah. uh, in which case i maybe think about the deals that are being made as opposed to whether or not you have to break them later on making a rule about breaking deals is really interesting <laughs> <laughs> i've never all right guys it's been 20 minutes and uh no life totals have changed significantly so we're gonna have to break some deals i've never been involved in we, we just never have set rules about how the deals work it's just yeah they kind of work how they work in game and they they kind of set the parameters as they go and it always tends to work out fine usually deals are between one player and another player too yeah. and they'll settle it if something has to be broken like i've done so many times with craig where we look at each other and be like all right, it's over. <laughs> yeah. The fun has been had, but it's actually not helping anyone at this point, so I'm going to swing at you. And Chris, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. No problem, man. Yeah, so I'm not sure about legislating the politics of the game. I think part of the, what makes the politics great is that they work in the way that real diplomacy works in the real world in that there aren't a lot of rules. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, what you can make happen. So, I don't know. Yeah, just make sure you don't make deals that do somehow prevent the game from progressing. I would definitely, Mikey, please follow up. Let us know an example of some of those deals. And I want to know what one of these crazy deals that ground the game to a halt is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you get me a Coke from the fridge right now, I refuse to even pass the turn. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> See, that's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even going to move a to threat. my... That's not a deal. I'm not... <laughs> Well, the deal is if you get it to me, I will keep the game going. Otherwise, I'm just not going to do anything, right? You can't stop me. Uh, you can't negotiate with that kind of terrorism because they're just going to, okay, next you have to make me an omelet. Oh, man, that'd be sweet. <laughs> Otherwise, I've never passed the turn. <laughs> okay, next question, number 13. In your opinion, what set has been the biggest game changer for Commander from Caitlin? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, Modern Horizons? <laughs> there oh, was, was so many cards that was from a that one. set that made it into Commander. I would say Commander 2016, the Commander 2016 product with the four-color four color commanders yeah. and the partners. Those were, I think, the best of the Commander product. There's a lot of really powerful stuff in there. Some people maybe said too powerful, but a lot of really fun and awesome stuff. And and I think of all the moments that we've seen while we've been doing our content where Commander... Like, there was a big splash and there was a lot of ripples from a thing happening, yeah. right? That was the biggest splash. That was the most amount of ripples. Like Four colors. You uh, just saw a lot of decks built around that stuff for a long time. Attrax is still one of the top commanders in the game yep. as a result. Um, 
if I had to rephrase this question to say what has the big, been the biggest game changer for Commander, I think it's just Watsi's general recognition of how big the format is and how they are clearly putting in cards into every single set pretty much at this point to help the format out. I mean, there are recent the admissions format. that it's the most popular format or one, you know, one of the top two just tells you like they there was nothing even close to that being said five years ago and don't forget we are now moving into the biggest year for commander arguably ever well we have yet to see what it's going to be like and the the ikoria set is going to have the pre-cons early so and of course later on i can't wait commander drafting yeah so much stuff it's gonna be sweet all right what are the oh this is the big one the headliner r-e-r-i-n-t all right what are the top five to ten cards you want to see reprinted and why this is from gus Top five to ten cards. Yeah. I wrote down a bunch, and it might have been more than five to ten. I agree with most all of these, which also means that there are more cards that need to get reprinted than we can think of. Yeah. For sure. Well, yeah, for sure. This was like, we have to stop because there's too many, <laughs> more than yeah. five to ten. It was easy to come with this list. So here's what I've got, or what we've got. You added a couple here. Yeah, okay. Vidalconori, yep. Oracle of Moldiah, Sword of Feast and Famine. Or maybe all the swords. Ristic Study, Teferi's Protection. Oh, yeah. The Fetchlands. Maybe that should be number one. Yeah, it probably was. Toxic Deluge, Cyclonic Rift, Strip Mine, Bloom Tender. That card's insanely expensive. I know. Smothering Tithe already, but it's very expensive from the like it's one growing. printing and one brawl deck. Yep. Uh, and then all the talismans, and you put signets. Yeah, I th- I just think that even though they're not necessarily expensive, they could always use a reprint because everyone could always use them. That's true. So it they're just really makes, makes decks better, makes Arcane mana base better. Yeah, Arcane Signet is the one that clearly uh, has shot up in price. Um, I think a lot of these two, like for instance, um, Teferi's Protection. Yes. Anytime it's like a one-off in the Commander product, it means that they're not printing booster packs and as a result a lot less of those cards a lot less of those cards i think hit the market because you have to buy a whole pre-con to get one card out of it um and that it's i i mean for me like part of me is like the environment if you have to open up a pre-con for one arcane signet every single I know, time that's so much that's so much packaging and all that stuff for one thing think of all those oversized cards that never go anywhere um yeah i think the talismans are also a really good one to reprint just in general i think things that help people play the game more and also like as we saw with toxic deluge if it gets reprinted and still is like a ten dollar card that means you really need to reprint it which means it's very much in demand and it's a very good card and in general i think everyone can agree it's one of the best and better board wipes in commander that's not busted yep for sure we love that card all right i'm gonna read the next question because this one's just pointed only for you oh heck yeah so it says josh and dj went over this while jimmy was away so this question is for jimmy commanders we don't have yet that you would like to see? This is from Paul. Well, Paul, uh, obviously we've talked about Boros and red-white commanders all the time and what we think needs to get done. I've been looking for a commander like this for a while, which is a commander that is focused on uh, impulsive draw. So impulsive draw is exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until the end of your next turn or whatever it is, uh, and you and it, otherwise it gets exiled. Um, and I think that's something that needs... I would love to see it on the commander that has it consistently doing that over the course of a game. And it doesn't require to attack to do it, yes, maybe? Yes, because we have a Tali Primal Storm and Grins Havoc Razor, I think, are the perfect examples of cards that, like, oh, cool, if you hit with them, a Robber of the Rich is another recent version of a card that does something like this. Um, if you hit with them, then you get to do something cool. Uh, I hate that you have to go to attack with these things because it means that the chances of it not having a person to attack and it's just going to die is huge. And if you're paying six mana for a commander, then it really, you're already behind because you don't have a lot of the tools that every other commander coloring pairing has. Also, so, those are both mono red, they don't have white. Yeah, exactly. And white has still, what, mentor for the meek? 
or yeah. of the meek that's their like that's their card draw um so i think the card advantage thing is just something i think would make those colors so much more viable and then you could really there's tons of different strategies you can do in red and white it's just being whether or not you can unlock it by having more car access to more cards and not wasting slots in your deck to be that. Like yeah. sometimes I find I'm stuffing my red deck with as many things that say cycling or like tectonic reformation on them just so that I can get more cards in my hand. All right, question number 16. How do you know when it's time to take a deck apart rather than trying to keep tuning it up or down? Says Ian. Uh, I think it's just how much fun you're having. Does with it, it spark joy, Josh? Yeah, exactly. And, and this, Kondo. like when you have, <laughs> when you have uh, a lot of decks, this you become very. It becomes easier to do this, right? Because yeah. I think when you have fewer, it's harder. But there's a you know, oftentimes when I look at like the last four or five decks in my collection, and I'm just like, ah, I haven't played that in forever. And every time I go to play, I look at those decks, and I don't want to play it. Yeah. So that just tells me, ah, time to take it apart. I had a Mizzix deck for a long time. I still a, have mine. Had a bunch of good cards, and it's got a Force of Will and a Pact of Negation and a bunch of stuff in there. You know, I think there's a Mana Crypt in there <laughs> that's like, or there was, that's like, ah, you know, I could much better use those cards in other decks that I will want to play because I just never play that deck. So yeah. I took it apart. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, definitely look at the decks and just like, even just like, tough question, right? Let's say you have 10 decks. If I was like, you have to throw five of these in the trash right now. Which ones did you throw away? Five? How about two? Okay, well, you'll you'll <laughs> yeah. know in order of like, when you go like that one definitely. It's like, okay, that deck does not spark joy in you. You probably aren't going to play that oh, deck. The coin flip thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't let it, like, for instance, don't let the 10% like sympathy you have for that deck overpower the 90% of you that doesn't want to play it. If it's like, well, but it was the first time I did this with it. It's like, you're going to have plenty of those memories. Don't let that tip the scale so hard when it really doesn't weigh as much as the fact that you just don't want to play the deck and those last few decks in your collection are really they're they're monopolizing some very powerful and cool cards you could be playing with more often yeah yeah all right we're almost there number 17 how big would a channel have to be in terms of subscriber count in <laughs> order to get onto game nights and could a channel that has nothing to do with mtg still have a chance to be a guest on the show well, uh, subscriber count doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's the heart of the person that we're invited. No, I mean, I mean there's probably, a lot. <laughs> it probably matters, but I mean, there's not like a certain size you have to get to. And if we want to have a... We've had people on the show that don't have really big followings. Ashley Birch doesn't play magic at all in her day-to-day -day life. But she does have a big following, but yeah. True, but she does love gaming and magic and stuff. Um, yeah. Brandon Sanderson, not primarily known for magic. I right. mean, he has done some magic work, obviously. Right. Uh, Kyle Hill. I don't mm -hmm. think anybody knew Kyle was into magic at all before we had him on game nights. So yeah, definitely, definitely if you have a following, it does help you all get on game nights. But we've had people with like that, you know, you don't have to have 50,000 Twitter followers to be on game nights. We've had people with, you know, closer to a thousand Twitter followers. If they're friends of ours, we think they're going to be good on camera. They're generally nice to us. Like there's a good chance they get in. That's, that's yeah. kind of the criteria. I think the real only restriction is you have to be over 18 because we have yeah. a lot of people audition as well. And you have a huge list, right, of people that yep. could be potentials on the show. I have people asking me all the time. I was like, hey, guys, I want to collaborate on other projects. And then the number of people that were like, I want to be on game nights. I'm like, that's not what I was asking for. But <laughs> it's good to know that everyone wants to be on the show. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not, there's no set process. But we do try and reach out 
out and try and give people access to be on the show. And that's why we have the auditions for our patrons and some of our Kickstarter supporters. Uh, it's it's not like a, only friends are allowed here. You know, we want to also, you know, if you're making a show that's going to be a representation of the community, you want to make sure it represents the community and feel and gives people a feeling of inclusion rather than exclusion. And so there are a lot of different factors that go into it. Subscriber count is just a number. Please, please do not ever affiliate your self-worth with a number well, like your Instagram followers or Twitter followers, it doesn't mean anything. In 50 years, I'll ask you again if you care about how many Instagram followers you have. And if you say yes, then something has gone very wrong in the world. So please try not to associate. I'll probably be like, what's Instagram? Yeah, what's oh, Instagram? Thing? Oh, all the square pictures? <laughs> ah, I remember that now. Uh, yeah, please don't affiliate um, importance or anything. Like, like, make good content if you're a content creator, but don't worry about those types of numbers when it comes to like, I want to be on game nights. You know, honestly... The vast majority of people that want to be on game nights won't ever be on game nights. It, that's just how it goes. I would love to be in every movie, but I'm not going to be. You right. Know, we make one per month. There's tons of people out there that want to be on. There's no way we're ever going to be able to get all of them. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that's it's really like good me point. running around being like, I should be on Crazy Rich Asians and in Shang-Chi and in this and right. in this. It's like, that's not how it works. You know, you get opportunities. When Unless you you're get, The Rock. Unless you're The Rock, right? Then yeah. you can actually and be everyone. You can, I, I can't wait for The Rock to play like himself and his son <laughs> and his dad, like uh, Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just keep making good content. And, and that is the way I think people get noticed more than anything else. I also think, like, be a positive force in the community. You know, we want to have people on the show that we think are representing the game well. We love magic, and we want magic itself to do well because yeah. we like the game. And so that's one thing we like to encourage is people that are positive forces in the community and even if you don't get on the show you're going to feel better about your life because you're being a positive force and that's a very fun and like i think fulfilling thing to be all right last question hey guys just wondering how you keep track of everything going on around the board everything from your triggers to the opponent's triggers specific threats as well as your own cards and the threats they might pose to your opponents not to mention the sequencing of your own hand at crucial moments to ensure maximum value from uh josh is from you why, is that why you were talking like that yeah do hey i guys. sound like that no you don't i don't know why i was talking like that maybe it's the last question <laughs> this might this might be a big enough question for its own entire episode uh it's this is tough there is it is hard i think to wrap your brain around everything especially if you're looking at your phone by the way and honestly i'm not <laughs> great at it i forget triggers and stuff all the time like I want to be better at it. I mean, we do it even with a judge present and the judge Still can't can keep track thing. of all of it. Yeah. It's, it's so four players, right? It's like the, it's huge. The number of things that can happen compared to just the two player game. I think one of the biggest things is not having tunnel vision. So it's so easy to be like, look at your hand. This is what I want to do next turn tunnel vision in on that plan. Yeah. And then you'll miss things because they're not directly related to that one thing you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so being able to glance around the board, keep your mind open, not tunnel vision on that one thing will make you more able to, you know, see other triggers and other things. Have you ever noticed it's so much easier to remember other people's triggers and the implications of things they're doing than it is for yeah, them. For your own, yeah. Or that it is for yourself. Right, and that's right. because of the tunnel vision thing, I think. Because when you're watching them, you don't know what their plan is. So you're just looking overall and being like, don't forget it triggers that. Oh yeah, that's yeah. going to get plus two. And it's like, but when it comes to your turn, you'll forget the same things and they'll remember it because it's way easier from the outside because of the tunnel vision thing, I think. Yeah, I also organize my board in a way to have it mm. make sense to me. I'll have like, for instance, if there are upkeep triggers, I'll keep them closest to my deck so that when I look at my deck, I'll see the things that need to happen. Um, and I think that's a good way to visually communicate to yourself, making sure your lands are organized as well so you know what you can and can't tap, what your colors are. I always organize my lands by their colors. Um, I also try and like place priority on the board of like, if that person has a very dangerous thing out, then I'm constantly knowing it exists and making sure that it's a little higher on the, make sure you remember it's on the table when you sort of do your quick scan over. 
Uh, another trick for remembering triggers during like the upkeep, we've talked about this before, but is to put something on top of your library so that you know, you untap and you go to draw your card and you see something's on top of your library and it reminds you, oh, I have an upkeep trigger or multiple upkeep triggers mm -hmm. so that you don't draw your card first. That's the coin that we designed yep. for the Kickstarter, which by the way, those are getting produced and will get sent out soon. We had a little bit of an issue with coronavirus. Yeah, it's affecting the whole world. Yes. Yeah, so the, I'm a big Kickstarter guy and I've been like, oh my gosh, nothing's coming on time, including our own Kickstarter. Slight <laughs> delay, but it will. they will get out there. We have seen the samples. They, they are going to be sweet. But anyway, so putting something on top of your library to remind you and you can set other reminders you know obviously you got to keep it within reason but that will really help you is just you know they did this study once about memory in general and younger people hmm. tend to have a better memory than older people i don't think that surprises anyone out there but what they found was that older people learn strategies for how to remember things like yeah. they'll put their shoes near the door to remember remind them about something or whatever and younger people don't do those things because they just count on the fact that they have a good memory and so the okay. outcome of the that is that actually older people tend to remember slightly more things if you take into account the fact that like they use their strategies so like they're building systems basically yeah and their systems are actually effective enough to put them slightly ahead of the younger people just relying only on the memory yeah there's a whole branch of magic uh darren brown is one of the people that does this where for instance he can put a whole deck of cards in front of him look at it for 30 seconds pull it back up and know the exact order of all of them. He, put, because, he does the room, right? Yeah, he creates a fake room in his in his brain and he knows that in this room there's always a lamp, a book, a shelf, a this, a that, and then he looks at the deck and just assigns one to each and his brain is able to like lock in those pieces of memory. Yeah, that stuff's crazy. That those is crazy. That can like flick the deck and just remember the whole thing. Yeah, I mean it just means that your brain is really capable of some incredible stuff. Um, I think when it comes to memorizing what's on the board, definitely just learn to differentiate, I think at the very base level, what matters and what doesn't. Don't necessarily be like this matters more than that one and this is five percent more valuable than that just know that like okay their lands don't matter but they have a guy's cradle so i should know that mm -hmm. uh their you know their life totals are at this and just sort of knowing having a general sense of things so that when you look over the table it's not overwhelming you can more pinpoint being like huh he has a guy's cradle but no creatures on his board so i can actually sort of push that back in my brain and focus more on whatever else I, i'm looking at it is hard though yeah it's it's hard josh i'm as i speak to myself and josh the uh person who emailed or whatever good job josh's all right, to the listeners, what are the top cards that you want to see Wizards reprint in the near future? Mm -hmm. What type of deck or archetype do you wish they would design a commander for that they haven't already? Don't say Werewolf, I already said that. Do you have tips for uh, redesigning your deck or retooling your deck that maybe we didn't address here today or a fun way of doing it so that you keep up to date but you don't feel overwhelmed by it? Let us know. Do you have a deck that you know is really good for new players or younger players oh, yeah. that, that, you know, I uh, forget the name of the person should look into? What are your hobbies outside of Magic? <laughs> if it's board games. Let's say that your hobbies outside of Magic was board games. Yeah. Which, like Ashlyn, Ashlyn, who works here, is a huge board gamer. And one of the things she's started doing recently is bringing games for us to play at lunch. Yeah, you just hear people screaming over Avocado yeah. Smash downstairs. <laughs> people screaming, guacamole, <laughs> raising their hands up. It's really fun. So one of the things that you can do is go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Theros, of course, is still out. There's a ton of stuff you probably haven't gotten from that set yet. You can get it all at cardkingdom.com slash command zone. When you use our affiliate link... You you really are supporting this podcast, Game Nights, all of our content. And by purchasing Ultra Pro products, you are doing the same. And again, you can get Ultra Pro products pretty much everywhere at big box retailers, at your local game store, or on cardkeem.com slash command zone. They always make sweet play mats in every single set. There's, it's, it's no different. It's going to be something awesome. It's going to be something related to the set. So Ultra Pro really does have your back and they've covered you top to bottom. 
Yeah, they may, really do make the best stuff to protect your stuff, whether it's magic or anything else. All right, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Okay, I have a show that I only watch one, one episode of. Okay. It is the new Al Pacino show on Amazon Hunters. Prime. Hunters. Have you watched it yet? I haven't, but I know that Jordan Peele was the executive producer. Yep. I generally think he has very good taste in terms of this sort of stuff, and I'm excited to watch it as well. Yeah, it's a bunch. It's about a bunch of people who hunt Nazis like in the 80s in the yeah. U.S. It feels almost Tarantino-esque, yes, right? Yes, it is. It is very Tarantino feeling, and uh, I only watched one episode, but I liked it so far. I'm definitely going to watch the second How's one. How's Al Pacino? I mean, it's Pacino. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Because I do love Pacino. I think he's one of the best actors. Yeah, he's one of the great actors of all time. And he's never done a TV series before. And this is a streaming series, not exactly the same, but yeah. he's never done anything like this. So, well, pretty cool. it I, was the same when, what's his name, did Westworld. He had yeah. never done a TV series before, but he watched Breaking Bad and thought Brian Cranston was so good in it that he was like, you know what, I will do a, a, a TV slash streaming series for the first time. What a time we live in where literally an Al Pacino piece of content multiple hour thing just appears and you can just watch it yeah you know i'm gonna say for free obviously you have to have the subscription but like that's just a crazy like it happened on netflix too there's some random anne hathaway ben affleck movie that just pops up that i've never heard of but it's just like here's a movie with you know real actors yeah, oscar winning actors and all of a sudden you could just watch it if you want to it's like roma just was like that right just boom yeah and it's like done by one of the best filmmakers in the world yeah so it's like what a time what a time to be alive what a time i also realized i do have one hobby outside of magic i didn't mention it's something i share with Kyle hill and we mentioned on the episode oh, yeah. that we love rock climbing uh it's something that i think is a lot of fun like i think people that enjoy like doing like chess puzzles or math puzzles will enjoy rock climbing because it's like a physical version of that how do you make your way up the wall and position your body and plan it out and to get up and down safely and so that's a lot of fun i have bouldered a little when i was younger and it is hard well you are a boulder look at those arms josh i was better at it again when i was lighter yeah yeah well at this point the, you're pulling the wall down towards you <laughs> <laughs> okay our editing graphics and logistics team here at the command zone is craig blanchett ashlyn rose lady danger manton lung josh murphy jake boss alfred destaca and sam waldo yeah, we should mention that's the same team that's doing the post-production now for the EDH rec cast. So yeah, we have taken over. Intro, so many cool things about it. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've taken over the editing and everything for their show. It's still their content. They do the outline. Everything that they want to talk about and say hasn't changed at all. We just help them up their production quality. And we think it looks really good. Their show has always been good. Yeah. But we think it's just a little bit easier to watch and listen to now. So, again, type in EDH rec cast into your YouTube search bar or your podcast app. You will find them. Joey Schultz, Dana Roach, Matt Morgan. They really do have a really good show. Donald Miner, of course, good friend of ours, who started and runs the EDH Rec website. And Even just EDH Rec, Googling that anywhere will get you. You'll, you'll find it. I mean, you use EDH Rec all the time, probably, if you listen to this show. And I hope so. Yeah. It's the best. And this podcast is a great companion. Like, as the quality level of the website and the podcast, they're in good. So. Yep. And uh, make sure you let them know that we sent you as well. Let's fill that comment section up. Yeah. Really do want you to check them out. We think it's a it's a really cool show, and hopefully we've helped bring them to the next level. Yeah, and big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who helped us bring us to the next level with his cool card animations at the beginning and, end, and the ending of all of our shows on YouTube. And, of course, the animated backgrounds that live against uh, the background. Uh, they're the our window. background. The window. Yeah, our, our TV We're windows. in the swamp. Bummer. <laughs> all right, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. 
For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>